Okay, time to move to God's Word. Hope you've got your Bible. We're going to be looking at it today, so make sure you grab that. And I want to start off with a question for you this morning. The question is this. What is the most terrifying experience you've ever had? The most terrifying experience. Now, I'm not just talking about scary, like, ghosts and goblins that we talked about last week with Halloween kind of stuff. I mean, truly, genuinely terrifying. As I think about my life, I can only think of Two times that I would say I was actually terrified. One of those was when I was in elementary school and I was up riding my bike around at the high school and a group of high schoolers decided they wanted my bike and so they uh, chased me. I knew they were going to steal it and then probably beat me to a tar uh, because of that and not giving it to them. Um, but I was able to get away, but man, my heart was beating and I thought my days were numbered. Um, did not turn out the case, but I, I know that feeling of terror. Have you ever had that happen in your life? It probably wasn't because a bunch of guys were chasing you trying to steal your bike, but you may have had that terror come from other things, maybe as a result of a serious illness that you had. Or maybe you were involved in, in some kind of, of horrible or horrific kind of traffic accident. Maybe you felt that a terror as a result of, of being in the military and, and uh, having to face combat or as a law enforcement officer and find yourself in, in some kind of uh, just a horrible kind of situation. Uh, maybe uh, you got caught up in a, in a natural disaster, or maybe as you think about things that really terrified you, it wasn't experiences that, that you underwent personally, but rather the terror came as, as you knew of others that had to go through that. Siblings, children, parents, um, maybe friends, that kind of thing. As we think about those, uh, my guess is that, that we share a couple of things in, in common in that. Well, one of those being um, that it probably was a relatively short-lived. Uh, your experience probably was measured in minutes or hours uh, versus years or, or decades. And the other thing is that you probably haven't had to go through too many of those. I pray that's the case. One, as I said, I've had two that I can recall, but not, not too many of those kinds of things. Well, this morning, we're going to um, tap into a, a group of individuals that experience or at least have the potential uh, for terror-filled experiences uh, really every single day of their life, every moment of their existence. And the group I'm thinking specifically is that group we've already been praying for, the persecuted Christians uh, throughout the world, because they genuinely don't know moment to moment, day to day, if someone's going to come and knock on the door. Uh, maybe uh, to take them off to prison, maybe uh, to execute them, uh, maybe uh, to take away their business or a victim for the house or, or whatever it might be. But one of the fascinating things about this group, if you've ever uh, looked at or uh, gone to any of the, the websites or read materials, is that despite this uh, kind of ominous cloud that's there, uh, they often are people of extraordinary peace and contentment. So how do they experience that? How do they, how do they uh, make that a part of their lives? I want to know the answer to that. Uh, you may as, as well. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And, and we're going to do that as we uh, turn to God's Word. We're going to be looking at the book of Romans, the 20th chapter. Um, now, if you've got your Bibles, let me invite you to turn open to those. We're going to start in verse 1, Romans 20, verse 1. And so grab your Bibles. I'm going to grab mine as well. Again, the book of Romans the 20th chapter, verse 1. We're going to be looking at much of um, the text um, 
throughout our time, and I think I said Romans 20, it's actually Romans 12. So you're, you're in the right neighborhood. Go to Romans 12, just a few chapters before that. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, much of the uh, entire uh, verse today, but I'm only going to read just a few verses to start along this. They're not going to be on your screen, so I hope you have your Bible and you can follow along as well. Beginning with the first verse of Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then if you uh, skip down some of the verses and go all the way to the end of this chapter, the 21st verse, Romans 12, 21, we read also this. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. As we think about what it is, I think that, that these persecuted Christians, these ones who, who face this adversity on a regular basis, embody, it's, it's actually quite a number of things. But the one I want to zero in on today is what I would call steadfast faith. They just seem to have an extraordinary capacity to, uh, to remain steadfast in their faith, regardless of what comes their way. Uh, now, you think of steadfast, and steadfast is defined as resolutely firm and unwavering. They just seem to have a, a rock-solid ability to, to hold true to God regardless of what they're going through. Faith, that absolute trust or confidence in someone or something. As Christians, that faith and confidence is in God. So how do we as fellow Christians as fellow brothers and sisters, as fellow um, vibrant disciples, uh, learn to make that steadfast faith a part of our lives as well. Well, I think that the secret is unfolded for us in that the 12th chapter of, of Romans. And it begins in the very first verse there where it talks about God's mercy, because I think that's one of the resources that we draw on um, that helps us in that steadfast faith. It's the mercy of God. As we look to the text, again, that first verse says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. Now, we know that grace is getting that which we don't deserve. For example, God's forgiveness. A mercy, on the other hand, is not getting what we do deserve. And what is it that we deserve because of the sin that's a part of all of our lives? Well, uh, condemnation. Um, a punishment, banishment from heaven. That's, that's really what we deserve. Now, we don't get that, I thank God, um, because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But it's that mercy peace that I think helps us to, to hold firm to that faith that we have as Christ followers. You see, it's that mercy that, that we, uh, in which we see that, that God really models for us um, a, a supernatural, divine aspect of his love the undeserved, the unearned forgiveness, despite the thousands, maybe tens of thousands of, of sins that we have committed. And you may be thinking, well, Pastor Brett, I don't remember doing thousands of sins against God. I, there may be others that I've done a lot of sins against, and maybe corporately, but we forget sometimes that any sin we commit is a sin against God. 
And so if we take all of the sins we've done against other people and put them together, those are the sins that we have committed against our Lord. In, in the book of Psalms, the 51st verse, we have a, a passage where David is writing the psalm after having been confronted by the, the prophet Nathan. And it's following his, his affair with Bathsheba. And then, uh, of course, as a part of that, he also had um, Uriah the Hittite uh, placed in a position where he was killed. And, and when David's confronted with that, when he can't ignore that, when it's right in his face, these are the words that he has to say against you. And it's reference here to God, against you, God, and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, he sinned against Bathsheba, he sinned against Uriah and others as well, but, but David in, in his heart of hearts knew what we sometimes forget, and again, that any sin we commit is a sin against God, which is what, a part of what makes God's mercy so extraordinary, uh, because there is lots and lots of sins um, that we have committed that end up uh, being against God. And so part of what's wonderful about all of this, and I think provides strength for the persecuted church, is that they draw on this mercy, they draw on this grace of God to grant them a sense of assurance and of peace that they couldn't otherwise have. It's that recognition that, that even in adverse circumstances, that, that no matter what happens to them or even how they respond, that God's love, that God's presence continues to be there with them. Uh, you know, as, as Christ followers, God wants us to do our best. I think he's called us to a, a standard of excellence. But part of that peace that the persecuted church knows uh, that we need to know better is that regardless of what happens, God is there with us. That he doesn't give up on us. That it doesn't matter if we always say the right thing or do the right thing or, or think the right thing, that God is there to allow his hand, his presence to stand beside us. I've gone to the Voice of the Martyr website to, uh, to get some stories, and, and one of those involves a, <clears throat> a daughter and a mother named Ruth and Naomi. Um, kind of interesting, those names, obviously, Christians. Uh, they're from uh, Nigeria, and uh, they were in a small village as a part of that country. One day, a group of soldiers came in from Boko Haram, um, kidnapped the women, killed many of the men, uh, marched them through uh, the bush for um, several days, four or five days, finally got to the Boko Haram camp where they raped the women, including Ruth and Naomi. And then they told them that they could either renounce their faith or they would be killed. Now, Ruth and Naomi had seen the men in their village shot, some of them beheaded. They knew that these soldiers were deadly serious about that. And so out of fear for what had taken place, um, they said those words, there is no God but Allah, Muhammad is his prophet. As a result of that, the soldiers uh, let them go to help out with the other women that were there in the camp. Fortunately for these two women, um, a couple of weeks later, they were able to escape and get back to their village. But it was with great shame and guilt that they returned. The other villagers understood, but within them, they just couldn't let go of that. They felt like they had... had um, uh, forsaken uh, their Lord and their Savior to the point where they had become so discouraged, so despondent that the other uh, villagers were afraid that they were on the verge of suicide. They asked some um, 
some missionaries that were there in the area to come, and, and they spoke and shared with Ruth and Naomi that God forgives us, regardless of the things that happen. They remind him of the incident of, of Peter, where uh, Jesus, at his greatest point of need, uh, Peter denied him not once, not twice, but three times. And despite that, God forgave him, not only forgave him, but used him in extraordinary ways. Part of what I think leads to that steadfast faith is that recognition, and sadly, sometimes we learn it the hard way, that God is there with us, that God does forgive us, and that if we'll trust in that and lean on that, we can continue to be used in a wonderful fashion by God. We see also in that first verse where it talks about that another thing we need to learn in order to, um, to tap into this steadfast faith is, is the resource of, of the sacrifice of self, the sacrifice of self. Uh, the text says that we're called to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Now we hear that phrase, living sacrifice, and as we mentioned a little bit last week, um, these sound like contradictory terms. Living speaks of something that's alive. Sacrifice speaks of something that's dead. It's kind of like referencing cold hotcakes or uh, talking about someone who's seriously uh, uh, funny or uh, that has an unbiased opinion. Those things don't just seem uh, to go together. So how can we have sacrifice uh, become living sacrifices, that sacrifice of self? Well, if we look at both of those words, it, it sort of fits together. Living indicates something that's ongoing, something that continues. And that's, that's what our walk, our journey with God is. It's a living adventure that we have with him. And I am so grateful for that, aren't you? That it's not just a, a one-time thing and then we're, we're done and we forget about God and he forgets about us. Uh, each and every day is a new opportunity to grow and to learn in him. There's a living aspect to it. But there's also that piece of sacrifice. Now, as Paul was writing this originally uh, to those in the Roman church, the Romans, the Greeks, the Jews, the Gentiles would immediately have had the same uh, image come to their mind. And it was that image of a, a burnt offering being made, um, of a sacrifice being undertaken. All of them had seen that hundreds of times, depending on the religious uh, belief system that they were part of. Though The thing they shared in common was that they all had sacrifice. But, you know, sacrifice... Um, at least in that day and age, was kind of an all-in event. Uh, there was no such thing as a, as a partial sacrifice in, in that day and age. It reminds me of the, the quote by uh, Martina Navratilova that says this, the difference between involvement and commitment is like ham and eggs. The chicken is involved, but the pig, well, he's committed. Uh, when you make a sacrifice, uh, the, the way that they would have been thinking is you got to be committed and, and all in in terms of, of that commitment. And that's what God wants from us as well. He wants us to be people who have an ongoing relationship with him. But, uh, but as a part of that, uh, there's this, this full, complete uh, commitment of our heart and of our soul, of our mind and of our strength. And so, uh, as uh, we kind of surmise, it's not a one-and-done deal here. This is an ongoing lifetime engagement that we become a part of. Uh, so these are things that I think serve as sort of resources for us as we, we move toward that, that concept of steadfast faith. 
And then we see outgrowths of that. We see the evidence of that as those things are lived out in our lives. And again, we see this um, in, in great abundance in the lives of those who face regular persecution. They're described for us in uh, Romans, the, the 12th chapter, verses 11 through 21. I wish I had time to read all of those and unpack them for you. There's about 11, 12 different categories, listings of things that are, are the attributes and blessings we enjoy. But let me, let me just go through the first three to sort of give you a sampling of that. It begins with that idea that, that as individuals who, who have given their lives as living sacrifices have made that commitment by adhere to this, this steadfast faith, that one of the things that we experience is that our, our zeal is never lacking. Our zeal is never lacking. Uh, earlier in the book of Romans, the 10th chapter, verses 1 and 2, we read this. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, this is Paul speaking, in prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. What he's saying here is, is that um, their uh, commitment to God was based on, on their understanding of the law, which of course is incomplete. The only way to, to truly experience God is to know him intimately, to know him in a way that, that only occurs as we enter into relationship personally with him. And so when Paul talks here about my heart's desire, he's talking about that zeal he had for the people uh, there, the people of God who had not yet um, come to know who Jesus truly was, and that was the Messiah. Uh, we see this same kind of thing lived out. Uh, another example, this uh, occurred in, in a uh, Southeast Asian village. In this particular village, there had been uh, no Christians uh, ever before in the history of this village. It only had about 30 families in it. Well, it turns out that an evangelist came through, proclaimed boldly the, the good news of Jesus, and 20 people in that village of 30 families uh, came to give their lives to Christ. Uh, they were excited about that, decided that they wanted to, uh, to form a, a, a church that was there. Um, and so they were going to do that by, by meeting in a home, um, having a house church. You've probably heard that term before. And so they gathered together, and, and that went fine for a couple of weeks. But then uh, the police in the area heard about this. Uh, the police were not um, fans of the Christian faith, as is true in so many locations. And so they told the believers that they could no longer meet in that house. And if they did that, that the one who was leading the group would be imprisoned, uh, that the individuals whose house they were using would be evicted, and thirdly, that the house would be demolished. Because of the passion and the zeal, though, that these individuals had, uh, while they adhered to what the police officers said, um, uh, this is how uh, they responded in their words there. They told the police that they could keep them from worshiping God in that house, but they couldn't keep them from worshiping God in their hearts. Folks, that's not something you normally say to a police officer that has the ability to, to throw you in prison kind of a, on a whim. But these folks were filled, of, filled with that sense of zeal of God. A second thing we see in this list of attributes is, is uh, the joyfulness that we find in the hope that we have in Christ. In Romans, the 15th chapter, we read a, an accompanying verse where it says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
As you think about your life, would you say that you live a life that's filled with hope or is it a life that's filled with despair? Now, certainly we see lots of things in the news and, and posted and, and, and blogs and so forth that, that could be discouraging, that could be depressing. And if we choose to focus on that, um, then our lives will probably be disheartening. But, you know, we don't have to focus on the bad news. We can focus on some good news. In fact, not some good news. We can focus on the good news. And as we do that, we find that, uh, that our lives are, are filled with that sense of hope that God alone can provide for us. Because where we are, are reminded, as we've already said, that no matter what we're going through, God is there with us. A third thing that's mentioned in that list of attributes in verses uh, 12 through 20 is this, this thought of, of how we can be patient in affliction. Patient in affliction. Uh, now, again, most of us don't have to face affliction, true affliction, uh, on a very often basis. But, uh, but those in the persecuted church, they do that all the time. And, and yet in the midst of that, they have found an ability to be at peace in God's timing. I don't know about you, but, but that is not my strength, uh, waiting patiently on God. And I've got a pretty comfortable life. How much more challenging would it be for those who, who face hardship, and yet that's what they exhibit so often. From Ethiopia, there's the, the, the story that we read of a, of a prominent woman in this small village named Mother Tuito, is that how she was known? Again, a small a gathering, but she was, uh, had been raised in a different faith system, became a Christian, was so excited about that that she decided to donate because she had some property to donate some land for the building of a church. Not a lot of people, <clears throat> not a lot of money, but they pooled the resources and they put together a pretty rudimentary uh, structure, but allowed them a place to get out of the rain and the sun and to meet. And they met there until the villagers found out what was happening. And then the villagers who, villagers who were a part of another faith system came and they burned down this church. Fortunately, nobody was in the church. Nobody was injured. But um, as you can imagine, you're just starting off in your faith. And then, and then this happens. It would have been so easy to give in to the despair, but they didn't. Uh, they waited on God and on his moving and on his timing. As one of the individuals uh, noted, he said, because we live in the countryside, we don't know people who can help us. All we could do was to pray to God. But God heard our prayers. And in his timing, he brought you along, speaking here to a group of individuals who had heard about this from another country. They decided to uh, contribute to this church. They came and helped build them and built them a stout structure made of brick um, that allowed them to worship without the, the fear of having it burned down again. That might have seen as an impossibility to, to other people there, but with God, nothing is impossible. And so these people in their affliction were willing to wait with patience upon God, and he rewarded that. Now, there's a long list, again, of different things that, uh, that could be looked at. I would encourage you in your own uh, to make note of these and to see uh, what kind of role they have in your lives, because God makes those available to us. And if we'll do that, if we'll embody these things, and it, it moves us really to the, the last thing I simply want to mention, and that is that, that even in the midst of persecution, we can feel and sense and know that feeling of victory. Even when we're surrounded by challenge. And the very last verse, which we read at the beginning of this sermon time, uh, we heard these words, do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. What's your natural tendency when something goes wrong or somebody does something unjust to you? Is it to, uh, to look to God and to pray and to wait, or is it to, uh, to lash out? I have to confess to you that when the protesters came last Saturday, my initial response um, was not as God-honoring as it should be. But I was able to take a breath and regroup uh, myself, as I think everyone else did, and move from uh, that initial hostility to praying for these folks because it obviously had been misguided, somehow had a um, drastic misunderstanding of God's word and his truths. Folks, we can all experience that. We can all have that, that release, that freedom that God gives us. You, you see, when, when Satan comes in, he, he sort of throws at us a one-two punch. Um, that first, uh, first blow is, is simply the hardship that we face. Um, again, for us, uh, we had a, an event that we had last Saturday, which is nothing compared to what these people that the persecuted church faced. But whatever the hardship might be, you, you initially get to that. Uh, but then if we allow our, our humanness to step in, then Satan sits, sits with the, the second punch. And that is one of two things happens. Either we find ourselves in the midst of kind of a perpetual ongoing anger um, because there's a bitterness and hatred over the injustice that we've experienced or the wrong that has been imposed on us. We embrace this idea of a, a victim mentality that we see so prevalent in our society today. Or uh, the other thing that can happen is we, we end up having a deep sense of ongoing guilt and regret because we did respond with hostility and anger, um, sometimes even in violence. And, and we come to um, have a deep remorse for that because we know that that's not what God would call us to. And so part of what we need to do if we want to live in this steadfast faith is make sure we don't give in to Satan, don't give him uh, control. Again, that passage says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, Peter rewords it a little bit differently, but with the same thought with these words in 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because... Uh, to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. To this you were called. Folks, we're, we're called to rise above uh, the response that we so often see in the world around us. Now, we have a choice. Uh, we can choose the path that we're going to follow. Or we can surrender to those natural impulses of, of hostility, of anger, of, of, of bitterness. And when we do that, Satan wins. Satan wins. When we focus on the, the hateful things, the ugly things, the unfair things, the unjust things, then we end up robbing ourselves of all that God would want us to experience. The love and the joy and the peace and the patience that we talk about so often that are those fruit of the Spirit. And oh, we miss out those things that are talked about here in, in Romans 12. All of those things that God would want, even the people in the midst of persecution, to experience. But... If we focus on him, if we, if we lean on that steadfast, unmovable, rock-solid faith, that even though things haven't gone the way that we want, sometimes even though things have gone in a manner we don't understand, that we know that God's in control, that we know that God is still present, leading and guiding, that we know that God is still watching over, then we can experience that. Uh, there's a country called uh, Kazakhstan. And in that country, uh, a few years ago, a pastor by the name of, of Pastor uh, Kashkamabev, and I'm just going to call him Pastor K, uh, Pastor K, uh, who was 70 years old, 
uh, was confronted by some charges that were uh, inflicted upon him that had no basis whatsoever, but that doesn't matter in most of these countries. And so they threatened to throw him into prison. In fact, they had the, the trial, the charges were um, uh, prosecuted, he was convicted, and he was thrown into prison, but not just prison, uh, prison um, under hard work, um, where he had to, uh, to face hard time in that prison. Not only was that a part of the, the plan, but because they really had it out for this pastor, they decided that they were also going to put him in a uh, mental institution. And so uh, as a part of that, it typically involved one or two uh, quick uh, interviews by a psychiatrist. And then they would put you in where they were, would administer uh, psychiatric uh, medications that were so frequent and so severe that it typically resulted in, in pretty much a, a chemical lobotomy. And so people never came out of that hospital the way they had gone in. This pastor obviously had grave concerns about that. He began to pray as his people began to pray. And yet he didn't give in to that. Um, and in fact, part of whom he prayed for were those there in the prison and, and those that were in that hospital. As a result, God did an extraordinary thing. Where normally there would be one or two visits by a psychiatrist, he had 18 visits by a psychiatrist. And he finally, he said, I, I don't know what else to tell you. Why are you testing me so much? And, and the psychiatrist responded, well, uh, we have to be honest with you. We, we don't see any evil in you. Uh, normally we see anger and bitterness that we need to, to take care of, but that's simply not there for you, to which his response was, Christians are not supposed to answer evil for evil. We're called to bless people, and we're called to bless friends and enemies with a sincere heart. Uh, and what we find is that by not giving in to that, he was ultimately released. He did not undergo uh, the, the treatments with the medications uh, that he thought he was going to have to go for. His sentence got cut. It wasn't eliminated, but from, instead of 10 years, he only had to do uh, two years. And yet, despite of the circumstances, Pastor Kay had a steadfast faith. Folks, that's my hope for me. And that's my prayer for you as well, that God would instill us with that sense of trust and confidence in our God. He didn't say life's always going to be easy, and the truth is that sometimes it's not. But even when those times of hardship come, God's still with us. Even when those times of difficulty come, we still can know the love and the joy and the peace, the attributes that we read about in Romans 12 today. May God help us to be that kind of people. In fact, in some ways, while I would never want to live their life, I'm envious of the persecuted church because there's aspects, there's depths of their relationship with God that I can only pray is true in my life as well. May God help us to aspire to that this day and every day. Amen.